kind of be a little honest with you, this whole, you know, experience of me standing in front of you is kind of surreal. Um, you know, my whole life, I've absolutely, with a passion, hated public speaking. So it's kind of ironic that this whole situation is happening right now. Um, you know, so when I first came up here, I came up here after a week after college. I was a week out of college. I was 21. I came up here. Um, I felt a call to ministry, but I wasn't sure exactly what that was. I mean, because I didn't like public speaking, I kind of thought it would be in missions. And so I came up here thinking, all right, what is, what is God going to do? What does God have for me? And I'll never forget one of the first assignments that, that I had um, was to give my testimony the first week I was here. And so I gave my testimony in room 21, the former blue room, and um, it, was, it was to the junior high youth group. And I was so nervous. I mean, I was, hands were sweaty, I was shaking, stumbling over words, red in the face. And I was, I really had the thought, I said, God, what am I doing here? I mean, I can't even give my testimony. Why am I in a pastoral internship? I mean, how is this going to work out? But you know, God has worked in me through this whole time I've been here. He brought me to one place. I was here where I started, and then God brought me to a completely different place. And so I'm not like boasting in myself. I mean, Paul says, if I boast, I'll boast in the Lord. So that's what I'm trying to do. I mean, boasting in what God has done. Because this is all about God. I mean, every sermon is always about God and what he's done. And what he really did was, he saw my life right here, and he took me and drew me right here to where, I'm, where I am today. And by God's grace, he'll keep drawing me and keep pursuing me into greater holiness and blessing and knowing who God is. So tonight, today, we're going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And what I really want, want you guys to see is that Jesus takes us in one place, wherever we are, and uses that for his glory, our good, above all things. That's what God does for us. Because in my life, what I've seen, I've seen the powerful grace of God transform me. I mean, my parents are, are back there, and they can attest to the, the change that's gone on in my life, just how completely different I am from the past three years of being here. And so I want, I want to see how, how we can understand what it means to follow Jesus. Because the whole time I was here, Jesus was calling me to follow him. And so for everyone in this room, Jesus is calling all of us to follow him. So we're going to be in John chapter 1. If you want to turn there, it's on page, I think it's page 1050 in the Pew Bibles. John chapter 1, verse 35. And so as you're turning there, what we do sometimes at youth group in honor of the reading of God's word is stand. So if you could stand, that'd be great. So this is John chapter 1, verse 35. It says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. 
Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you. Uh, I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. God, we praise you for your word. We thank you that you have called us to yourself. God, I pray in this time that you would enliven our hearts to your word. May we seek your face in this time. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my redeemer, pray that you would glorify your name among us. Send your spirit upon us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So I think, I think today, you know, we're all in a Baptist church. So I think most of us would probably call ourselves Christians. I think most of us probably would. Do you think that's what Jesus would call us? Do you think Jesus would call us Christians? I don't know. I think in this passage, as we read that Jesus would actually call us his followers or his disciples. And so in this passage, we're going to see five different examples of men who follow Jesus. We're going to ask two questions. How did they follow Jesus? And what can we learn from those disciples who followed Jesus? And just before we get started, I I think it would be probably good to explain that, like, the call of Jesus is greater than any other call that we hear on a day-to-day basis. I mean, many of you guys have probably, you know, living in our culture, you can see that we are constantly always being preached at. I mean, you turn on a a TV and you have commercials coming in at you, you are always being preached. You need this for fulfillment. You need that to be happy. You know, we're being preached at by politics, whatever that is. Oh, this, this person, if he gets elected... They're going to do good. They're going to be the Savior. We're always getting preached at. We know what supersedes all of that is the call of Jesus Christ. 
So before we even get into this passage, I think it's clear that we understand what a follower is. So a follower is kind of, this is kind of a working definition. A follower of Jesus listens to God, has faith in Jesus, and wholeheartedly devotes their existence to living for Jesus. So the first example that we're going to see is John the Baptist. So let's look at verse 35. It says, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And so John, John the Baptist, is in Bethany at this time with his disciples. And, you know, this is actually the second time that John calls Jesus the Lamb of God. If you look at verse 29, a little higher up on the page, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so this title, the Lamb of God, that Jeremy preached on last week, it in short is that the Old Testament teaching that the Messiah would be the Lamb who is slaughtered. I mean, we get this from Isaiah 53 verse 7. And so the title, the Lamb of God, is given to Jesus in this passage. And I think we should probably understand what the role of John the Baptist was. The role of John the Baptist was pointing forward and preparing the way for Jesus to come and usher in the new kingdom of God. So John the Baptist is actually the last prophet. So he's in the line of you know, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. So his word had authority. So John the Baptist, when he said something... People did it because they acted, they understood that he's a prophet. And so when John the Baptist is saying, look, the Lamb of God is here who takes away the sins of the world, that had authority. That made people follow. But it is pretty interesting how it takes two times for, for the people to respond to John the Baptist. You know, so I work with the youth, and I love the junior high kids, the junior high, you know, teens that come to youth group. But sometimes it's like, you got to say, say like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times before they understand what they need to do. You need to tell them something ten times before they get it. That's kind of like what it is in this passage, where John is just saying, look to Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. And he keeps saying it until they get it. And so they respond the right way. And if you think about what John is doing, he's using his authority to point to Jesus, to point to Christ. And so for us, is there anything more glorious that we're to point to in our own lives, that we're to point other people to? I mean, there are so many things that we could talk about. I mean, meaningless conversation between, you know, sports, television, movies, food, politics. We need to be redeeming those moments and pointing people to Jesus. At all times, whatever we say, whatever we do, because that's what John did. There's only one thing that matters, and that's Christ. And so John, he's pointing people to the Lamb of God who forgives the sins of the world. And so we should do the same. I mean, John, what he's doing is really loving his own disciples. He's loving the people that follow them. He's saying, I'm not the one. I'm not the man. That's what it says earlier in John 1. I'm not the man you're to follow. You need to follow Jesus. You need to follow him. So John is pointing people forward toward Jesus. And so what, what should we do in light of this? Well, what happens next? So we're going to look at Andrew and the unnamed disciple. So the first part, 
John the Baptist points people to Jesus. Point two, Andrew and the unnamed. Let's, let's look at what, what they do. So verse 37 says, When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. So at this moment in time, the church, like where we are now, Big C Church, is taking shape. Disciples are going to Jesus. The, ch- the people of God are now coming, and they believe the testimony of John, and they follow Jesus. They follow Jesus physically, and ultimately they would follow his teaching as well. And so they hear and they go. That's what we can learn. How did they follow Jesus? They hear and they go. They leave John for Jesus. They leave something who's good to someone who's great. And so what can we learn from this? Well, we can learn that we should take God at his word. I mean, like I said before, that John the Baptist, what he said was the word of God. He's a prophet. So when we read the word of God, this is simple. Just, it says, follow me. Just go. Just follow Jesus. It's simple. In some ways, it's very simple to be a Christian. You just read the word and do what it says. And so this is how we're to follow Jesus. Take God at his word and have faith. Have faith in who he is and what he's done. So let's look at verse 38. So they follow Jesus. They leave John and are following Jesus. Jesus is passing by. And it says, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so this is really interesting. So Jesus is walking by. He sees the disciples of John following him and turns around and asks, what do you want? And this one, this translation, the NIV has, what do you want? But it's more like, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? And I think this is a question that we should be asking ourselves. What are you, what are you seeking from God? Are you seeking God? Are you on the path to following Jesus? And so he asks, what are you seeking? And so they want to follow him. They want to follow Jesus. And it's really interesting, Jesus' response. He just says, just come and see. Come and you will see. And isn't that what being a Christian is? Just coming and seeing who Jesus is and what he'll do and how he'll work in our lives and how he'll bring any situation for our good? That's what following Jesus is. It's, it's an awesome journey that we're on to be a follower of Jesus. And so the invitation to follow Jesus is here, and they follow him. And so what happens next? So if they're following Jesus, what comes next? So let's look at verse 40. So look, look at Andrew, his example. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And so Andrew leaves John, John's side, goes to Jesus. The first thing he does is to find his brother, Simon, and bring him to Jesus. That's the first thing he does. And immediately he tells his brother Peter, he goes, they have found the Messiah, the one who who is the long-awaited Savior, they found him. 
And Andrew is, is really our example of the best and most common way to evangelize. One-to-one, personal witness. And, you know, I think kind of introspectively sometimes, like what would happen if, if Andrew didn't say anything to Peter? What do you think would have happened? Well, I mean, first off, selfishly, I probably would have a different name because in that time, the name Peter was not a common name. So when Jesus renames Peter, I would have a different name. But that's just me being selfish. And, but what would happen? There wouldn't, be, there wouldn't be the example of Peter. It would be a completely different story. Peter is the foremost of disciples. He's always listed first because he's the prominent one. He's the one that the church is built on, the rock. That's his name, what Peter means. So what would, what would have happened? Well, praise God that he, he gave Andrew the heart to reach out to Peter, to reach out to his brother. So we need to follow this example of Andrew and take every opportunity that we can to reach out to family and to friends. Tell them about Jesus. I mean, think about whenever you have important news. Who, who are the first people that you go to? Probably the people that you're closest with. That's what Andrew does. That's why he runs to Peter, tells him, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. The Messiah who's been prophesied about for hundreds of years in the past. We have found him. And you need to follow him. That's what Andrew does. That's what we should do in light of this. And so Andrew shows us the urgency that we're to have as followers of Christ, that other people need to know Christ as well. And so how much more do we have or should have an urgency to tell others? We know how the story ends. We know that Christ has come, salvation is here, the forgiveness of God is available through Jesus, the Messiah has made us right before God. How much more should we Tell others about this unlimited joy about Jesus and what he's done. And, you know, I love, um, you know, some of the youth group kids at our church. They, they're very mature. They bring friends to youth group almost on a weekly basis. There's new kids that are coming and hearing about Jesus. And it's, it's wonderful to see them just being mature and reaching out actively to their friends. And so Andrew... He goes and finds his brother Peter and brings him to Jesus. And so this is our example. And this is, this is what John the Baptist did as well. I mean, Andrew and John the Baptist were doing very, very similar things. They're pointing to Jesus, saying, go to Jesus. Go to him. You need to follow him. So the third example that we're going to see is the example of Peter. So let's look at verse 42. Verse 42, it says, And he, Andrew, brought him, Peter, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. And so Peter is brought to Jesus. Jesus looks at him and says, You are Simon, son of John. He's identifying um, Peter and who he is. And in that time, family was important, so that's where you found your identity. And so what Jesus does here, he renames Peter, changing his identity and showing him that that Peter's actually going to be changing and that the one who's going to do this changing is actually Jesus. 
So his identity now is forever changed. Peter's identity is. He's now going to be remembered as the foremost disciple, the top of the list. The new name that, that Jesus gives Peter is actually a declaration of what Peter will become. And isn't that so great about Jesus? That Jesus calls us to what we will become in Christ. Not where we're at now, but that Jesus calls us moving forward. And so Jesus is God. He's looking at Peter with his eternal eyes and saying, you, Peter, are going to be the rock. You're going to be the one that is going to be the leader of the disciples. You're, you have, I have great plans for you, Peter. And so Jesus, he sees the potential in the individual and calls him from one place to another. I mean, think about Peter, what he did. He denied Christ three times. He was even called Satan by Jesus. I mean, this is not like, like someone who's got it all together. This is someone who needs, needs some work. And thankfully, Peter is a, is a screw-up just like all of us. But Jesus is the one that takes him from one place and gets him to another place. And that's kind of how, how I feel God has worked in me. I mean, when I came here, I was, I was so different than I am now. And part of that is following Jesus. A lot of it is just following Jesus, just having faith and trusting in him. And so Jesus sees the potential in all of us. Jesus sees the potential in Peter. And isn't this the way to do youth ministry? I mean, like when I see, when I see some teens or youth, we don't treat them like, like they are now. I mean, if you treat them like, like they're a seventh grader or young, they're never going to rise to the occasion. But if you treat them like an adult and expect maturity from them, then they rise to the occasion. I mean, I'm so impressed by, by all, these, all these teens coming up and leading worship and doing the scripture and welcoming the prayer. And a lot of that is because we call them to maturity. And when you do that, they rise to the occasion. They really do. And I love... I, so the way, what we do in youth group is um, we have, you know, a talk, and then we have small groups. And so I'm leading a small group of seventh grade guys. And, uh, you know, I love the seventh grade guys, but you continually have to call them to what they will become. Because right now they're kind of off the wall and out of control. <laughs> but you call them what they're, they're going to become. Like me and the other youth leader, Tim Christensen, we call them and treat them like men. Because when we're in our small group, you can see just the greatness of how God, you know, made men and how they're wired and leadership skills and abilities and stuff. But you look at them and you call them to what they're going to become. And praise God that he does this. Praise Jesus that he did this to Peter. And said, Peter, you're a screw-up now, but I'm going to make you the leader in the church. And Jesus is the one that is going to draw him there. Jesus is the one that's going to bring him to that place. And so God knows, he knows how things are going to end up in our life. He knows. He really does. He knows what he's going to make of Peter, and he knows what he's going to make of you. I mean, as I look back to, you know, my life, how I came up here, you know, I never said that I was going to move to Massachusetts. Like, I was like, Lord, I'll go anywhere. Just don't send me to Massachusetts. <laughs> and I'm here. And, you know, I'm sure all you guys probably have a lot of decisions to make as well. But just be faithful in that. 
And you know, it's helpful to know that God gives guidance, but also God is guidance. You see the distinction? God gives guidance, but he is guidance. He's the one that is guiding you step by step by step as to what's next. So God is the one who's going to bring you to greater holiness and greater glory in Christ Jesus. Because, you know, we get so nervous about some of life's situations, but we have to rest in the promises of Jesus that all of those things are working out for our good and for his glory above all. And so whatever, whatever happens in our life, and what we see from Peter is our identity must be found in Jesus. So that's what we learn from Peter, that our identity is to be in Christ and to rest in Christ in what, how he will make us great and how God is the one that, that lifts us up. So where are you finding your identity? Where are you finding your source of joy, your acceptance, your approval? I mean, you can find it in many things. You can find it in, in food, in sports, in television, in other people, in um, other relationships, your body image, family. And, you know, these are not bad things. But if that's the place that you're finding your whole sum total identity, it's going to let you down. I mean, I played football when I was in college, and that was where I found my source of identity. That's where I found approval. That's where I found acceptance. And so what I would do is I would, in a sense, worship this false god. I would devote time and energy and effort into working out and practice and watching film and all that. And I would be worshiping this false god that was going to let me down. But, you know, so what we need to do is we need to follow this example of Peter who's had his identity changed by Jesus. Because, you know, only in Jesus will you find your true identity. Only in Jesus do you find true significance and true approval. So rest in the work of Jesus for your identity because he will never let you down. In him is the fullness of joy. And only in Christ are you truly loved unconditionally. And he will never, ever let you down. And so as we think about these followers and what they did, so they follow Jesus, they tell other people about Jesus. What drove that? It was because they found their identity in God. They found their identity in the Messiah. They, they weren't so concerned about what other people thought. They were concerned about what God thought of them. And said, no, I'm finding my identity in this Messiah. And I'm following this Messiah. I don't care what this person thinks. Because I'm, I'm, my source of approval does not come from them. It comes from God. So let us find our identity from Jesus. Because he's the one that is the source of all joy. So as we see John the Baptist, we see Andrew, we see Peter. All following Jesus. Finding their identity in him reaching out to others in love. The fourth one we're going to see is Philip. So let's look at verse 43. And it says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. And so Jesus, in his ministry, leaves. He goes and finds Philip. He finds Philip. And I love, I love this verse. I love it because it's almost like there's pieces that are missing. It's like, well, is this all that Jesus said? 
Like, how does, how does Philip leave and follow someone after only two, sentence, two words? I mean, if there's someone that walks by and says, follow me, I'm not following. But it's almost like we miss out on what really happened. But as we think about it and how this applies for our life, isn't there any, this is what we really need to hear on a daily basis. We need to hear the still small voice of Jesus saying, just follow me, just follow me, follow me, follow me. Every day, this is what we need to hear. Jesus calling us to follow him. And so how does, how does Philip follow Jesus? What does he do? I mean, in some ways, it's just so simple. Just follow Jesus. Every day in your life, just follow him. And this is so essential for us to understand. Following Jesus, because tough things are going to happen. Storms are going to come. Tragedies are going to happen. But follow Jesus. He's been through it all. He's suffered physically, spiritually, emotionally, so that we could run to him. That's what Hebrews 4 says. We have a high priest who's been like us in every way and suffered in every way so that we could approach the throne of grace and go to Jesus. And so Jesus has felt all of our pains and died for our sins so that we could run to him. So whatever happens in your life, follow Jesus. He is worth it. And so Philip follows Jesus. So what is the What's the first thing that he does? Let's look at verse 45. So much in the same way that Andrew, the first thing he did was find Peter, Philip, as we're going to see, the first thing he did is found Nathaniel. So let's look at, uh, look at verse 45. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And so, as we see it again, the foundational principle, the way that the church grows, one-to-one interaction, people reaching out, telling others about Jesus. And so people follow Jesus and then tell other people to follow Jesus. They become disciples and then make other disciples. That's how the church expands. That's how the church grows. But so the first disciples, they, they had to know something about Jesus before they followed him. And we get a clue as to what it was in this verse 45. If you look at it again, it says, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. So what Philip is saying there is the whole sum total of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, the way that they talked about the Old Testament, is all pointing forward to Jesus. It's all pointing forward to to the Messiah who's going to come. It's all about Jesus. I mean, if you think about the, um, you know, the whole purpose of the Old Testament is all about Jesus. Think about the, the offerings, the sacrifices that happened. They're a foreshadow of the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. You think about the promises of the Old Testament. They're always incomplete. But in Jesus, in the new covenant, they're completed. Then you think about the different types of people in the Old Testament. You think about um, how Jesus is the greater prophet than Moses, the greater deliverer than Moses, the better king than David, the better better father of, of Israel than Abraham, 
He's, he's the better redeemer than Boaz. You think about all those types and how, they're the, how the whole Old Testament is full of flawed men who were called by God. But they all are pointing forward to what Jesus would bring and what the Messiah would usher in. So this is what those disciples believed in. This is what those disciples were trained at and what they understood. So they knew when, when they're calling Jesus the Messiah, they knew that he's the one that fulfilled all the Old Testament prof- prophets and prophecies. So this is why they follow. And Jesus, he fits this description. And this is why Philip follows. And so Philip then reaches out to Nathanael, says, the law and the prophets all talk about Jesus of Nazareth. What do you think Nathanael's response is going to be? Let's look at verse 46. He says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And so Nathanael, he starts out as a skeptic. He, he says, Nazareth, what? What's coming from there? So Nathaniel actually starts off a skeptic. He doesn't believe. And Philip, he responds very simply, in the same way Jesus probably would. Just come and see. Just come and you'll see. And it's really interesting that, that Philip doesn't answer Nathaniel's question. He doesn't give him an answer as to why, you know, Nazareth is the place that the Messiah is coming from. He doesn't answer the question. But, you know, this is how we should be speaking to skeptics and nonbelievers. Because I'm sure everyone here rubs shoulders with nonbelievers that have that one issue, that one thing that's keeping them from Christ. And, you know, this is what we should be saying to them. Just come and see. Just come and see what he's done. Just come and see all of Jesus, all of who he is. Because in reality, any skeptic that comes to Christ is not going to be saved by us. It's going to be saved by God. And God will take care of whatever their issue is. And so this is what Jesus has done. We, we tell people, read the word, get in the Bible, understand how your sin is so grave, how you need Christ, how this, the wrath of God has been satisfied, how there is forgiveness for sins, the penalty for sin is gone. We've been redeemed from slavery and death. And Jesus on the cross, he gives us his righteousness. This is what we say to unbelievers. We say, come and see. Come and see. We say, uh, we say 2 Corinthians 5.21. We say, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. And in that moment, this is my favorite verse, Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. You have our sin and Christ's righteousness exchanged on the cross. Jesus takes on our sin on the cross and gives us his righteousness so that we are justified or declared innocent before God. This is what we say to unbelievers. We say, come and see what he's done. Come and see how your sins can be forgiven. Come and see how you can know the God of creation. You can know the God of creation. Come and see how your life can be filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Come and see how you can be redeemed and ransomed from shame, sin, and guilt of sin. Come and see the glories of Christ. Come and see what he's done. So we see John the Baptist and Andrew and Peter and Philip 
pointing to Jesus in everything, following Jesus in everything, pointing to all that he's done. So the fifth one that we're going to see is Nathaniel. He's the last character. Let's look at verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the tree, under the fig tree, before Philip called you. And so it's really interesting. Nathaniel starts as a skeptic, but he listens to Philip. He hears, just come and see. And he actually goes. Nathaniel goes. That's the greatest part. He goes. He understands. All right, I know Philip. He's my friend. I trust him. I'll go. I'll come and see. I'll come and see what Jesus has done. And so he appears before Jesus, and Jesus sees him, knowing, because he's God in the flesh, and Jesus sees him before the tree, and he calls to him. And Nathaniel is, is, he becomes a believer. His response is actually like a bomb of theological significance. We don't have time to get to it, but it's verse 49. Well, it's the second service. I guess we could, but I won't. <laughs> so it's verse 49. It says, Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And so a good way to understand the Son of God is a common phrase that we probably have heard today. It was very common in the ancient world as well. But it's like Father, like Son. So when you hear Jesus is the Son of God, what it really means is he's like his Father. And he's, he's one in the same essence of God. So he's like his Father. And then you hear the king of Israel, and so Jesus is, he's the king of Israel. He's the Messiah. But the issue at hand was, the people at this time, the disciples, even the disciples did, they had wrong understandings and misconceptions of what Jesus being the king of Israel was. But for us today, this is what drives us to follow Jesus. We see, oh, Jesus is the king? He's God in the flesh? I should follow this God. The God of the universe has come in Jesus Christ. He's worthy of being followed. He's worthy of all of our worship. So let's get verse 50. And I love verse 50 and 51. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so Nathanael believes on the limited information that he has, that Jesus saw him under the tree. That's how he believes. And so Jesus, his response is essentially saying, you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything yet. I'm going to show you more and more of myself in everything that happens in this ministry. Jesus shows him more and more of himself. And so this is, in some ways, vintage Jesus. He shows us more of himself, always. I mean, a good homework assignment is to read Genesis 28. I mean, that's where some of the wording comes from in these two verses. But essentially what it's saying is that Nathaniel would see how Jesus fulfills the vision of Genesis 28 of the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And what that means is that now Jesus is the one and the place that we worship. 
He's the one that we go to to worship. He's, he's the, the God in the flesh who's worshiped now. And so Jesus, in everything, he doesn't leave Nathaniel where he's at now. He doesn't leave Nathaniel, oh, you believe, okay, great, that's awesome. He says, no, Nathaniel, I'm going to show you more. I'm going to show you more of who I am. I'm going to show you how great I am. Nathaniel, I'm going to show you that I'm going to die for the sins of the world. That's what he's saying. And isn't that so great that Jesus always wants to reveal more of himself to us? That he always calls people into a deeper relationship with him. Always. Wherever you are. Wherever you are in life, whether you've been a believer for decades, whether this is your first Sunday here, whether you're a teenager, whether you've been a believer for a couple years, Jesus is always calling you into a deeper, more intimate relationship with him in every circumstance, at all times. And so there are so many different ages at youth group that we have. It goes from 6th to 12th grade. And kids are in very different places. But you know what? This is what, what we do. We say, come and see Christ. Just wherever you're at, come and see Jesus. Come and see what he's done. You need a, a better relationship with Jesus. You need to know what he's done. And so we strive for maturity in youth group. That's what we strive for. That one day, people would be mature in Christ. And isn't that the way that we all should be striving for. We should all be striving for maturity in Jesus, that we know him more intimately on a daily basis, that we hear him calling us, saying, follow me. And so what can we learn from Nathaniel? I mean, I think some of us probably in this room have doubts. Come to Jesus with your doubts. But what about Jesus? Will you let Jesus answer some of your doubts? There's one more place that we're going to go. Um, So if you go to Philippians 2, verse 5 is where we'll be. It is on page number 1162. So it says in verse 5, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I think there's probably some of us in the room that are skeptics, and you say, why do these people follow Jesus? Why should I be following Jesus today? What's the point? Here it is. If you see the greatness of Jesus Christ, that's what causes you to follow Jesus. In all of these examples that we have, John the Baptist, 
Nathaniel, Philip, Andrew, Peter, they have seen the greatness of Christ. And that's what causes them to follow Jesus. So if you look at these verses again, this is verse 6, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. I mean, you think of, you think of Jesus in heaven being worshipped on his throne by angels, having the fullness of riches, being God in the flesh. It's not something that he strived for or clung to or held on to. He actually gave it up. He humbled himself on the cross. He humbled himself. That's what Christmas is about, that God in the flesh put on humanity in the incarnation. He didn't lose his deity, but he put on humanity, and he made himself nothing. He humbled himself. And isn't that so much different than us? I mean, we're always concerned about boosting ourselves up. But Jesus, the one who should be boosting himself up because he's God, worthy of all worship, humbles himself on the cross and lives the life that we couldn't live, dies the death that we deserve, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think the greatest moment in the crucifixion, the climax in some ways, is when Pilate, presents Jesus to the people. And he says, here is your king. Here is your king. And what you would expect to hear from the people is worship and awe and praise. But that's not what happens. He's rejected. And they cry out, crucify him. How could that happen? How could God in the flesh be rejected by his people? How could this happen? What rejection that is. What a disgrace, what, but what humility that is, that Jesus is being rejected by the people that he created for us. He went through all of that for us, becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. That's, that's true humility. And so since Jesus humbled himself and is now the object and place of worship, like verse 51 says in John 1, that he's now the place of worship as the Son of Man, the Son of God, the King of Israel. Therefore, since he humbled himself, took on our sins, gave us his righteousness, therefore, verse 9, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is, if this verse is true, that one day all of us will bow at the feet of Jesus and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the one question that we have to ask is, will you bow as a friend and follower of Jesus, or will you bow as a foe and enemy of Jesus? And that influences how we live our life, how we're following Jesus. Because if this grace is true, that God has come in the flesh and took on our sin, that requires everything of us. That requires us to follow him. That requires us to love him. Not as a a moralistic way of paying back God, but as a grace-filled way of saying, 
God, you are so awesome, I will give you my life. And I think the greatest part about Jesus is that he's coming back. I mean, he's coming back as a king. The first time he came, he was despised and rejected by men and became obedient to death. When he comes back, he's coming back as a conquering king. Revelation 19 says he's coming back with a a tattoo on his leg, fire in his eyes. Tattoo says he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the God we serve. But this is the God who's given us grace and mercy in our time of weakness. So this is the God that we follow. So when you see the glory of Christ in this light, it's like, it's like a diamond that reflects in the light. And you see in his ministry, you see the grace of Jesus when he heals people. You see the love of God. You see the mercy of God. You see the holiness of God, and you're drawn to it. You know, God has made us in his image, and we're drawn to glory. We're drawn to glory. And the most glorious thing that we can see that we were made for is the glory of God in the face and the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is why we're made. So when you see the love that God has for us, that's why these disciples follow him. That's why we follow him. And so the question that I have to ask is, what is keeping you from following Jesus more fully? And whatever that is, I'm sure the Holy Spirit might be convicting you of it. I pray we would all ask for forgiveness because this life is so short in the scope of eternity. Live for eternity, not for this life. So follow Jesus. Come and see what he's done. Come and see what he's done, because Jesus is calling all of us to follow him. And so follow Jesus today, resting in the grace that God has given to us on the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you that you, in fact, are the pearl of great price. You are the treasure hidden in a field. God, I pray that we would give up everything for you that we would see that in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand our pleasures forevermore. God, we thank you that you have loved us. You have first loved us and sent your son for us. So God, I pray today that we would follow you more fully, that we would understand your grace and your mercy and compassion for us. So God, send us off. For your glory and the praise of your beautiful name we pray. We love you. We want to love you more. And it's in your beautiful name. Amen.